Hello and welcome to One Inch Past Scary Podcast. This is Kirsty Sayer and I am so happy to be with you. I am sitting currently in the woods. It feels like old times. It feels like the beginning um, days of this podcast where I used to escape to the woods and avoid running by first recording a podcast in the car until it got too hot for me to be in there anymore and I was forced to get out and run. Um, Today it is a little bit too chilly still. I'm waiting for the morning to warm up a bit and I am so thrilled that it's giving me the opportunity to sit here in this quiet, beautiful space and watch the sun climb high in the sky. It's not very um, spring-like. when I look around me, there's just a bunch of dead wood everywhere. Um, but you know, if you are open to it, there's a certain amount of beauty in that. Um, and there's a definite sense of hope that that's all about to change. Um, there's green stuff below all the dead leaves on the forest floor and they're getting ready to sprout up and, um, in not very much longer, we're going to see some definite signs of life again. And that is always such a perfect metaphor for whatever struggles um, I've been going through during winter and early spring, which has historically always been the most difficult time for me, or maybe mid to late spring, if I'm being more um, accurate. It's always a reminder that, you know, everything's temporary and um, as dark and depressing and cold and even ugly as things might seem at any given time, they are not forever. There's always something lying beneath, uh, getting ready to replace them. So if you needed that reminder today, um, I hope you'll take it and, um, just, you know, be on the lookout for little bits, little signs of life, both, um, in your own personal experience and and out there in nature. Um, I used to wonder why it was necessary for, you know, the planet to experience such harsh conditions as winter. It just seems so destructive and terrible (laughs) in every way. And if nothing else, if this life is just one long, um, and layered curriculum for all of us to learn our lessons. Um, The changing of the seasons is a very, very obvious one. And for that, I suppose I should be very grateful to Ohio because never has there been such an extreme manifestation of that in my life growing up in South Africa. Certainly got cold and winter was a thing, Um, but it was certainly not such a long, harsh and obvious thing. So... While I'm feeling philosophical, I will offer you that and then I'll go back to cursing it all when spring, inadverted commas, um, continues on much, much longer. I mean, winter continues on much, much longer than it is welcome to and sort of um, we experience the various phases of spring in the Midwest, which um, I think we've just had... Um, duplicitous or fake spring um, number one. We will yet experience several more. We'll probably get up to about seven or eight of them um, before we are plunged suddenly into um, heat and humidity. (laughs) Summer arrives with with, um, a bang around here. Anyway, all that to say, I'm very happy to be with you. I have... um, not fallen off the wagon, even though it's been a couple of weeks. I was in Arizona um, helping my friend to celebrate and launch her new book. Um, Tamika Sears is my friend. I've spoken of her often. You can order her book on Amazon. It's called How to Know If You Are an Asshole Boss. Um, Really much, you know, really to the point much as Tamika is and a valuable resource for um, any leader um, particularly one who is self-aware enough to want to know whether or not they're being an asshole boss um, or if they might have blind spots 
in various places, even if they aren't overall one. So, you know, check that out. Um, very happy to give a plug for that. Um, Tamika is a, is a good boss. I discovered I was just at her party and a bunch of her ex coworkers from places where she'd moved on from, um, were there in attendance very enthusiastically and, um, spoke of her extremely highly as a boss. She's, um, being a good boss and she's worked for different bosses who, um, have been both good and bad. So she knows of what she speaks. Anyway, um, onto my, um, topic of the day. So I had a, um, an amusing, but, um, confronting epiphany recently, actually when I was on in Arizona, um, if you are somebody who does not believe in or is frightened by the idea of tarot cards, please just stay with me. Um, I'm not going to plug those or give you any kind of like um, sort of encouragement to to follow the tarot life. I think that we can all be open to different ways in which the universe um wants to speak to us, whether, you know, you call that God or your conscience or whatever it is. Um, but, you know, I am, I'm going to address the idea of tarot cards in a cognitive behavioral therapy, um, way, which is actually, um, something I recently learned about that people who may not necessarily take, you know, the idea of a tarot card or whatever very seriously um, in terms of, you know, it being a spiritual message from the other side, they can use those cards as sort of prompts to address issues within them that may um, be worth looking at. You know, the unexamined life is not worth living, so they say. And so um, I recently picked up a book which was um, devoted to looking at different things such as tarot cards and using them as a way to examine your own life, examine things that maybe you avoid examining um, typically because they're painful or maybe they're just not something that interests you or something that you think is worth um, looking into. Maybe you feel like you're very self-aware in various ways and you are very comfortable with some area of your life. And then when you're forced to examine it, maybe because you pulled a card and it's not something you ordinarily focus on, you will find that there are some things that you would like to explore further. So I think it's kind of a cool, it's kind of a cool method um, of doing, you know, self work or, um, the word oh anyway that um examining yourself examining um your mind and and just sort of your tendencies or whatever's going on with yourself and your relationships with others etc so um i um was recently telling a friend of mine that um it was amusing to me, but in a slightly unsettling way that I kept pulling cards um, whilst doing these exercises. I use it for journaling and that sort of thing um, that talked about um, or that represented some kind of betrayal. And, um, and I said to her sort of, you know, really tongue in cheek, you know, I'm walking around all squinty eyed looking at everybody like, is it you Judas? <laughs> Not really. I wasn't getting paranoid, but every single time I pulled it, I'd be like, seriously, what the hell? I mean, there was just nobody in my life that I could imagine, you know, waiting to stab me in the back. Um, so it wasn't really making me, you know, legitimately paranoid. I didn't think about it for much longer after I'd pull it, but I did wonder like, what is this repeated message that I seem to be getting from the universe about betrayal? Um, because I do believe in, in, um, you know, the universe nudging me in lots of different ways, maybe through people, through repeated mistakes that I make, through experiences that are uncomfortable that I continue to have, um, and positive things too. And, um, you know, my faith is, is hard, harder to define than it used to be, but, um, 
feels very simple and and relevant to me and so um i was curious about that you know i was like what the, what is this weird theme um and i just was like this this is interesting i guess time will tell you know what i need to learn and so it with that very way back in the far recesses of my mind i i had an experience last week where i was feeling um you know, I was feeling the tugs of my abandonment wounds from childhood that I had not felt for a while um, in that particular way. And I was recognizing, you know, feeling some sense of not feeling in control and feeling um, very childlike, but not in a nice way, you know, feeling like I wasn't in control of my uh destiny and it was super uncomfortable for me and but as well as feeling uncomfortable and slightly scary it was making me very angry um i was feeling a lot of hostility and resentment and anger and you know the sort of suppressed feelings that all of them felt really uncomfortable and i tend to default to um self-destructive behavior when that happens you know when i'm when there's something i can't really identify and i'm feeling out of control of a circumstance um then i'm not want you know feeling inclined to take care of myself and you know do the things that i know will make me feel better and then of course that creates a whole loop whereas where i'm not practicing that sort of self-care then i am um you know, physiologically feeling worse, which is going to make my mood worse. And then, of course, I start to lash out at others. Um, and, you know, this is why the unexamined life is not worth living, because we become our shadow selves. We really sort of sink deep into that um, and start to manifest some ugliness that we might be feeling addressed towards us, towards others. And this is how we really pass on wounds and, and do harm rather than, you know, when we refuse to see where we're hurting and then do the work to heal that, we then pass it along to others who don't deserve it. And, um, and in turn, feel some, that much less um, worthy of love and so much worse about ourselves. So it is a horrible cycle. And this is why it's important to do whatever exercises we need to do. If that's going to therapy, if you've already done that, um, doing exercises like journaling with prompts, um, using whatever kind of prompts you want, if, if they happen to be cards of any kind, whichever cards or, um, you know, whatever. There's a hundred thousand different ways to, to examine ourselves and to examine those feelings. But it does inv it does involve a commitment and it involves um, being willing to sit in the discomfort of self-examination. So um, I got to the point where, you know, whatever I was doing to suppress those feelings was just sort of not very tenable for um, how I wanted to feel and how I wanted to act. And I... Um, went on this long walk and while I went on a walk um, I was listening to a podcast and I, I believe it didn't have a lot to do with what I was feeling and experiencing um, but you know you know how when somebody says something it sort of leads you down a, a rabbit hole of your own circumstances and this self-awareness started to rise and I realized that, you know, I'd been feeling abandoned. I'd been feeling kind of like disrespected, disregarded. My feelings weren't being taken into account. I was, you know, being railroaded and all these things. And then I heard the song and it was about, you know, belonging to yourself, being there for yourself, being your own best friend. And suddenly I just had this, like, I actually stopped walking and laughed. I just laughed out loud at myself. I was like, oh my gosh, I figured out who's betraying me. And it wasn't all the people who I was feeling like weren't acting right towards me, were doing me dirt. It was me. I was like, what? Of course it is. The, the self-betrayal is what this um, 
this theme has kept coming up. You're betraying yourself. Be careful because, um, you know, self-betrayal is a very, very, very common, almost universal side effect of um, childhood trauma. Um, it's how we survive as children. And I'd learned that, you know, toward the end of my my time in formal therapy and how important it was to understand and then combat it with self-care, self-compassion, self-examination, setting very good boundaries, etc. But of course we're going to slide and in times of stress or times of new circumstances or new environments, of course we're going to slide back into old patterns. That's um, just human. And if I may be, you know, spiritual, I just believe that those are the messages that I was getting, you know, just sort of kind, gentle, since, you know, maybe the, the more, um, the less controversial ways of reminding me were not obviously getting through very well. Um, I kept getting these, these like sinister looking tarot cards saying, you know, Oh, this is amusing that I'm recording this on on March fifteenth. Um, but Kirsty, Kirsty, beware the Ides of March to take a line from Julius Caesar. Um, as an aside, I was the soothsayer in in Julius Caesar, so that was my line, and um, I I never um, miss an opportunity to use it. So thank you so much for letting me segue into that. That was just that's another gift from the universe. <laughs> I feel very loved right now because I love that line. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay. I was um, told that was weird. And so I should probably stop with that. My obsession with that line. It happened as a, as a really young high schooler, by the way. And I really haven't let go of that moment, that moment of fame. Anyway, let's talk a little bit about self-betrayal because I know that this is, like I say, this is a really common manifestation of um, particularly people who have experienced some kind of childhood trauma. Now, most people, um, should I say most? Yeah, I'm going to say most people are living their lives going, you know what, I didn't have childhood trauma. I was good. You know, my mom and dad were kind to me and you know, sort of, I wasn't abused, nothing terrible happened. And so I'm fine. And whatever is going on with me is just fine too, you know, and that's great. Like I do not advocate um, looking for ways to be a victim by any means, or looking back and seeing your life or your childhood is dark and awful and sad when it wasn't. I think that's completely, you know, that's bullshit. And, um, and self-destructive in its own way, you know, rewriting your emotional history in, in a negative light cannot, you know, no good can come of it. But it is important to be aware that there are different kinds of childhood wounds that I, I can't imagine how any of us can escape from. Sometimes, you know, it happens because of people other than our parents or our immediate family, you know, everything was good there, but we might have had a dysfunctional friendship or um, situation at school, there might have been bullying, there might have been, you know, a teacher sort of really found your face irritating and, and went about making your life more difficult than it needed to be, whatever it was. Um, but, you know, there are different types of childhood um, dysfunction or trauma, or you know, maybe you moved a lot, or maybe um, your parent was super kind but distracted and, um, you know, had a, really a lot to manage themselves and they left you to your own devices more you know, emotionally, um, more so than um, maybe was healthy for you and you didn't um, get the vibes or the message that it would be okay to reach out to them, even though it would have been if, you know, you hadn't known, but they didn't maybe signal to you in a way that you could understand that you didn't have to be as self-sufficient as you ended up being. All of these things, you know, um, a huge amount of self-sufficiency and independence and all that stuff. Um, as a parent, um, you know, I definitely tried to do my best by my kids with, with, you know, my own damage and what I could. And I see 
times um, where things that I thought were them, you know, were signs that I was doing a great job was actually a sign of them sort of compensating for um, ways in which I was maybe letting them down unconsciously. So I have a great deal of compassion for parents, um, you know, too. And, and to acknowledge these gaps in your childhood is not to betray your parent and not to betray the memory of them or the memory of your childhood. Your childhood may have well been very happy and mostly healthy, um, but it also might have included, you know, these hardships or these um, you know, these moments in which you developed sort of coping strategies that served you well in childhood, but now do not. And I think that's the important thing to understand. Um, Self-abandonment or the adjustments that we make, sort of being a chameleon or um, fitting in in order to keep the peace um, or, you know, being hyper aware of others' moods um if if you were um in a really volatile home or an abusive home or even a home in which there was you know chronic depression or um your parent dealt with you know their own mental health problems um can make you very very aware hyper aware of how um other people are feeling and really absorb those emotions and then behave accordingly and sort of um, subjugate your own needs to whatever you're feeling in the room. Um, a lot of people are self-described empaths. They will say, you know, I'm very empathetic. I can feel the needs of everybody around me. I literally feel the pain of the saddest person in the room. And they do. Um, I consider myself somebody like that. And it's been really eye-opening for me to recognize that it's good to be sympathetic, it's good to be kind, and it's good to be compassionate and sensitive, certainly. But it doesn't serve anyone for you to absorb every feeling in the room or in the world at large as if it is your own. That's extremely exhausting, um, draining, and it's not healthy, and it is a trauma response. And so um, what that, and that takes a lot of adjustment because if you have gone well, um, particularly if your childhood was really dysfunctional as mine was, if you've decided, well, you know what, um, at least I came away being a kinder person for it, a more sensitive person, I'm able to help others. Um, and you sort of compensate for your history by saying, well, it's made me a kinder, nicer person. Having to adjust that perception and recognize that um, your trauma made you empathic in an unhealthy way and that they're, you know, and that is actually draining you and in the end not serving others as well as you thought it was. That's hard, you know, because that's kind of what you were clinging to. And it's the next stage of healing, really. If that's what you need to cling to in the early phases of healing, if you have to just hold to that, which I did, in order to even be brave enough to acknowledge the damage that was done to you, to stop denying it, which that was true for me. Um, I think it was a great tool in going, look, um, being brave enough to say, yes, this did happen, and I'm going to talk about it now, which was terrifying, absolutely horrifying. Acknowledging it to myself was horrifying then telling someone of it took decades, then telling more people of it took longer. And then eventually that story became my own and bringing it out into the light took the fear out of it. And, um, and then for a long time, I definitely identified with my empathic side and saw it as a strength. And then I got to the phase where I realized that it wasn't and the trauma did not make me stronger. It actually, um, it revealed my strength but it broke me in lots of ways. So it, it made me um, hypersensitive, hypervigilant, and more inclined to absorb feelings that shouldn't and wouldn't, um, were never designed to be mine and were draining me and making me overall less useful because you can only absorb and um, others' emotions and be comforting and kind to people for so long until it 
drowns you and then you become worthless um, to others while you you know try to come up above water um, and if you don't have any coping skills you know properly learned clinical coping skills um, you're going to project all of the stuff that you have not healed onto others in your attempt to, to comfort and heal them because all you're trying to do is heal yourself ultimately so these are some very difficult pills to swallow and if this is your first kind of like foray into those concepts you might even resent me or reject them out of hand for for t talking about them um i know that that's been the case for me when i wasn't ready to hear some of those truths i just kind of rejected the truth teller i really kind of disliked the messenger and that's also normal um the risk i'm willing to take um for those of you who are interested um or are at that point in your self-discovery or sort of healing process to understand or to see yourself in what i'm saying so first of all let's talk in a clinical sense about what um or psycholo you know, psychology sense in what self-abandonment because it sounds maybe a little self-indulgent um or can to some people who just don't use that sort of lingo and especially to people ironically who do self-abandon a lot it sounds overly dramatic and like seriously can we you know move on from you know navel gazing etc i know this because i was brought up in a home where that kind of vibe was very present and any self-examination was discouraged because it was um described as again self-indulgent or you know uh my mom used to say you know americans are very psychologically um they're hypochondriacs they always think there's something wrong with them and um you know i really you know when you're young you take on what your parents say about things and you believe them as a, as a coping skill and i now recognize that as her own coping skills she was very afraid to face her own demons and so she would um you know project that and try to discourage us from facing ours or and try to make light of those who were doing this very difficult work um but that aside if you are ready to hear about that it is a clinical term it's a term that is used by psychologists and it involves things like not trusting your initial instincts um and that can look you know if you're feeling like this isn't good this is this feels like danger to me or this feels like this person is is throwing up red flags and i don't feel comfortable or good around them they don't make me feel Good when i'm with them and then just ignoring them and being like oh that must be something wrong with me um just not trusting your instincts is a good is a good sign and often we'll use um food or substances or you know other addictive things you know sex or scrolling or whatever it is um to suppress those warning signals that are making us uncomfortable it also looks like people pleasing excessive people pleasing not serving others and and making others happy is wonderful and it's part of the greatest joys of our lives and and it will always be a, a healthy thing to look at how we can help others and how we can serve the world and will, and you'll know when it makes you um feel empowered and more like yourself but you will also know when people pleasing sort of triggers a sense of desperation in you like i've got to make this person happy at all costs and it's hard and it feels like hard work and it feels like letting yourself down it'll give you that sort of like insecure frightened feeling in your in your stomach um if you're like me it, it makes you feel more childlike in a bad way um if you're constantly seeking validation from people if you feel like you know you have to act in certain ways so that people will say nice things about you or look certain ways or do certain things so that you will get approval or acceptance from people that um rather than just being comfortable doing what you want to do and you know within reason and being comfortable with that and and having your own approval be enough um that is a form of you know self betrayal hiding parts of you hiding things that you like to do hiding sides of yourself um is obviously 
a sign of that. Um, excessive perfectionism or perfectionism in general, you know, nothing's perfect in life, nothing. And um, accepting this is important for our mental health. Um, and if you engage in perfectionism um, often, you know, there's some there's some ways in which it's just fun, like, you know, making a perfect omelet or decorating a cake to perfection or, you know, coloring something in a way that pleases you, that you consider perfect. That's, that's fine. You know, if it's an occasional indulgence, but if everything needs to be perfect or you just won't do it, so you live in chaos and squalor and you know that that's not who you want to be or you just exhaust yourself and you don't sleep and you exhaust everybody around you because everything has to be perfect and you're unsatisfied all the time and, and it's causing you stress that's perfectionism it's not good it's not something you know sometimes i'll hear people sort of say i'm a perfectionist in almost a pride you know they pride themselves in that and it's it's dysfunctional and it, it's if you're not feeling the damage I can guarantee you that people around you are um, and then self-criticism and self-judgments um, if you hear yourself your internal monologue or your your voice is mean you know and we our voices are so frequently so unkind um, and we're barely aware that we even have a voice um, the, if we had to write down the horrible, awful things that so many of us say to ourselves throughout the day, we would, even the most easygoing of us, would not take even a fraction of that from somebody else. Um, I heard, I think it was Glennon Doyle say on, on one of her podcasts, you know, I couldn't stop hearing the the mean voice um the mean voice was just there and it kept saying nonsense to me but i realized that while i could still have the mean voice around i didn't have to believe everything it said i stopped entertaining it as a valid you know having valid arguments so i'd hear it but i wouldn't be like oh you must be right i accept that wholesale um and the way she said it too was just like is it you know if if my wife or my child or my friend had to say, you know, are you going to eat all that? <laughs> to me, I'd be like, who the hell do you think you are? How dare you, you know, make a comment about what I'm going to eat. But, you know, and that's kind of a mild, that's, a, you know, the things that my inner critic has said to myself um, are horrible. And I would not for one second allow anybody to say that to me without getting a major earful so um you know that's something to keep in mind and if you don't know where your inner critic stands with you it's probably because you haven't ever really stopped to listen to how you speak to yourself you know those those just those thoughts like wow wow you look terrible today like that's your inner critic that's unkind would you say that to somebody <laughs> Would you entertain it? And it, honestly, it's all, it's all, you know, it's, it's on a continuum. We can't instantly become completely, you know, self-accepting and instantly self-compassionate and just a whole different person in one fell swoop. We've got to, you know, take that in phases and, and become gradually kinder to ourselves. So, okay, so I can look at myself. I'm looking at myself in, you know, in the car mirror right now, which is why this came to mind, you know. Um, and I can say, wow, um, you you look tired. You look tired. Why why would that be? You know? <laughs> that's that's one step kinder. To until I get to the point where I stop making an assessment of my appearance when I look in the mirror. I just look in the mirror and say, Hey self, what do we need to do today to be ready for the day? You know, put in your contact lenses, cool. Wash your face, brush your teeth, great. Let's go high five self, you know, let's, let's go on with our day. Nice to see you. Good to see you got up today. Excellent, excellent work, you know, um, just like I would with anybody in my family. I do not make assessments of their appearance. I see them as a whole human being and ask them how they're doing. And I'm interested in what they're doing. And 
how they're feeling and what they're processing at any time. So, you know, that, that's a process. Um, other signs of self-abandonment include not acting according to your values. Have you ever been a chameleon for somebody that you wanted approval from? So you maybe keep quiet about your your values, either religiously or spiritually or politically, or just, I don't think it's nice for you to say stuff like that about people, you know, to a friend. This makes me very uncomfortable when you are critical of how people look or anything. You know, if your values are, you know, being violated in your social settings or people that you are um, in intimate relationships with and you don't talk about them or at least you don't um, speak up for them or they're at least or they're not aware of them that's self-abandonment i've been in relationships where i've completely um flipped you know my previously held point of views simply for that person's approval now that is not to be confused with evolving looking at others points of views examining them in an open-minded way and then evolving because they make sense to you and with more information you're like wow okay i see that differently that's awesome that's a sign of an open mind that's a sign of intelligence um that's growth that's great but if you're sort of hiding parts of yourself and, and flipping around and going, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, we all know the difference, right? Codependent relationships where, you know, you're abandoning your needs for the sake of the other person. Um, you, you need somebody else to be okay for you to be okay. You need them to approve of you for you to be okay. Um, you're running yourself ragged, you know, or you just can't be alone. Those are all signs of codependency you don't feel safe in your own um company you know you don't feel like you're going to be okay if that person leaves you or disapproves of you it's terrifying to you that's codependency um and then you know just all of the above just not speaking up for yourself when you have a need um waiting for other people to express their needs and then jumping on that bandwagon is another sign of self-betrayal, you know, every, you know, here's a silly example. Is anybody hungry? Um, hoping like hell that somebody else in the group will say, well, I am, um, so that you won't be alone. And then the group will decide to go and eat and you can get your, you know, starving self needs met. Um, in any degree that could be in your career, you know, things that you need, um, in your relationships, it could be physical and emotional needs, whatever. Um, not speaking up for yourself is a big one. So we've talked about why this happens. Um, I don't know actually if I did define exactly why this happens. Um, just suppressing your needs is a form of survival, just kind of disappearing, keeping the peace, like I said, is super important for survival for a lot of kids, especially if you grew up in um, in a, a super abusive household, being able to read cues and hide or adjust so that you didn't get harmed because you didn't have options, you didn't have anywhere to go. Um, and that is to be forgiven. That's a skill that you learned and you need to acknowledge that as a child you had no other options or few options or or options that might have been there but you did not recognize like i said again um you might have had a parent that in retrospect you realize you could have reached out to but at that time as a child they weren't signaling that to you effectively um i've done it to my own children even though um i know that i would have always been fully available to them to meet their needs um, I wasn't expressing that in a way that they could recognize at certain times in their life. And so they adjusted accordingly and, you know, had to develop skills that I wish they hadn't or were more independent than I wish they had felt like they needed to be, that sort of thing. So again, you're not betraying your parent for recognizing that you adjusted in certain ways um, to 
to care for yourself as a child and you're not portraying your childlike self and there's no your childhood self there's no need to judge or be harsh on yourself for doing those things you did what you had to do as a kid but as adults we do have far more options we have infinitely more options in fact um, even if we don't think so at this time we can evolve as we heal to see more and more and more options available to us and that's the beautiful part about healing when you first start on a healing journey you often feel like you have your back against the wall that there's nothing there's no other option and that's why a lot of people feel like there's no option but death because you are existing now in a grown-up world where you do have options but you're still existing within the childlike framework and it is a super unbearable uncomfortable place to be so this is why i'm talking to you about all this because as you become more and more aware of all of these dynamics you will start to realize that you have so many more options than you ever realize and that is scary in and of itself you might be afraid of knowing that you have options because then you will feel compelled to act upon them don't feel that way you you also have the option to remain exactly in the circumstances that you are now if those are more comfortable for you right you can always choose so you do not have to be scared of self-examination the choice will always be yours it's just nice to know what your options are and to keep them open fully understand the need to sort of keep yourself in the dark about yourself because you're terrified that you will be compelled to act and maybe you will let you be scared when you if you did choose to act maybe it will be scary but it will still be something that you have chosen to do and you want to do um, more than you don't want to so just relax relax into that you're never going to have to do anything that doesn't feel better than the alternative when you are awake and healthy um, I think that's really an important thing to acknowledge because I think that is why so many of us I know that's why I stayed um, studiously in the dark about myself and my needs because I was afraid of opening that can of worms. And what I didn't realize was that life would become infinitely less frightening for me once I did, because I used to be scared of everything. And now I'm scared of only almost everything. <laughs> it's much better. <laughs> okay. So on exactly that, that, um, um, what, on that theme, I want to talk to you more about this epiphany that I had. So I'm walking along, feeling all the resentments, all the uneasiness, all the sadness, all the just frustration of self-abandonment in the circumstance that I was in, and just be, both hating myself and everybody else. And suddenly I realized, oh my gosh, you're doing it. It's, it's self-betrayal. But good news is you know how to get out of that now. And you and I reminded myself that I had options. You don't have to feel these feelings. Yay, hooray. <laughs> Yay. Seriously, it felt so good. It was such a damn relief. And that's what I also want to explain is that healing, and I've been on this path for a long time now, most of a decade, um, six, seven years, um, is not linear. And you're just going to be in circumstances where, which will trigger a lot of things and sort of take you back down into your old habits. And that's cool. That's fine. Um, you'll always come back up with extra tools more than you had before. So it's never wasted. It's, it's, it's okay. It's all good. So, um, I suddenly with this blinding epiphany and that song and whatever I've been listening to before, I was like, oh, yay, I am realizing that I am in the pattern of self-betrayal and I don't have to be mad at anyone, not myself, not people I love, nobody. I can just stop betraying myself. Yay. <laughs> and that sounds so simplistic, but it honestly, that epiphany did feel like this huge eureka moment now did that mean that i instantly everything all was well and i didn't have to have some really difficult conversations um no it didn't it meant that i instantly felt a sense of hope i've felt that back inside of myself 
I knew what I needed to do, and that was to take some time. I needed a reflective um, day. I needed just some time to be alone, which was not um, in the plan for the day. Um, so that was uncomfortable. Um, you know, I had to let people down um, and explain that it was because I didn't want to let them down more. Um, but mostly because I didn't want to let myself down. And um, it was a good move because I came back a stronger, um, kind of more me self the next day once I had taken care of that or later on that day once I'd taken care of myself and um, recognized where I'd be violating boundaries, where I needed to speak up for myself, where I needed to explain myself more. Um, where I needed to take care of myself better and needed to get back on that meditation train, needed to do some breath work and do some more exercise and, and just, just take care of myself. Um, and that was great. And that is how, you know, that is how we can stop betraying ourselves. First of all, we need to allow ourselves to have feelings. A lot of us just are like, feelings are dangerous. Well, guess what? Feelings are part of being alive and you are having them even if you don't think you are um you are suppressing feelings maybe if you say i don't have a lot of feelings i'm just not a very feeling person um you know obviously some of us feel things or express that we feel things way more intensely than others um but a good chunk of us who say we just don't feel a lot are feeling a lot we're just feeling we're just not aware that we are and we're manifesting um feeling things in maybe overworking, maybe overeating, maybe other addictive behaviors, maybe isolating, um, having difficulties in relationships, um, feeling numb or engaging in numbing behaviors. We are having feelings and it's important to start to allow ourselves to having feelings. And how do we do that? We start to identify them. We start to we maybe even set an alarm and this can be for anyone if if you're starting to feel like eh, am i really in touch with myself right now am i really do i know what's going on with myself do i am i in a good space if you're start i mean i don't know if you ask yourself those questions i do when i start to have a lot of like niggly relationship conflicts so i find that i'm getting irritable a lot or i'm abandoning myself in terms of self needs i'm just like eating when I'm not hungry, eating a lot of junk food that's making me feel sick later, or um, going to bed super late, or go just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling in an addictive way. Um, those things. And I start to ask myself questions. What's really going on here? What's going on? Because um, it's often not apparent at all. So you could set an alarm on your phone and check in with yourself, just like you do with your kids and your friends and your partner and say hey how are you doing today what's going on what are you feeling right at this moment at this moment can you identify a feeling just like you were in preschool do you remember the the feeling chart like this is happy this is sad this is frustrated this is angry this is jealous um this is bored if it has to get that basic with you so that you can start to like get back in touch with you then do that i know it sounds touchy-feely because it is but it's important this is how we stop doing things that we don't want to do unconsciously last night i practiced doing this which i don't typically um i went into the kitchen after i had had dinner a very ample satisfying dinner i knew i wasn't hungry i knew i was staying up too late and and i just wandered into the kitchen after i'd made a commitment to myself early in the day that i wasn't going to eat late at night unless I was hungry. I wasn't just going to eat out of boredom um, because it was just wreaking havoc with my digestive system, with my health. I just was feeling so crappy because I've been doing that a lot. So I made a decision and an agreement with myself. Let's stop doing that. Okay, cool. So then I started in the kitchen and I started wandering around the kitchen looking for something to eat. And I was like, halfway through, maybe even on my second or third visit, because there was nothing fun there. Um, I was like super foraging and I stopped and I was like, hey, what are you feeling right now? 
what is it? And honestly, I don't even remember what I was feeling. But just the act of asking myself distracted me enough to leave the kitchen and just abandon that sort of unconscious sort of scavenging thing. It was just like, hey, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? Um, it was just a pause. Honestly, it just put the pause on because I was like, I'm not really sure. You don't have to make it a whole big like drama. You know, you don't have to sit down and journal the deepest emotions. It was like, are you feeling something? You must be feeling something if you're scavenging and you're not hungry. Anyway, identifying feelings or at least asking yourself throughout the day how you are feeling is one way to stop a cycle of self-abandonment that might have started when you were a child, when you didn't feel entitled to have feelings. Maybe the only person that was allowed to have feelings was a sibling who was, you know, having a lot of trouble. Um, or a parent who was who had mental health problems or addictions or whatever, um, and you just never realized that you too were allowed to have needs and feelings. Um, and then when you do notice how you're feeling, say it's just you know it's not one of the greater feelings. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling jealous. Or some, maybe it's a feeling that instills shame in you. Maybe it's shame itself. Then don't go pile on more shame by being, well, why? I shouldn't be feeling that way. I shouldn't be feeling angry. I shouldn't be feeling irritable. I shouldn't be feeling jealous. Uh, That is not helpful either. (laughs) I am feeling that way. Well, let's be kind about it. Let's acknowledge you're feeling that way. Oh, that's a real feeling. That's an uncomfortable feeling. I'm sorry you're feeling that way. What do you think it is? Talk to yourself, you would, a friend or a child that you loved. Um, It's really nice if you can talk to yourself as if, you know, you're a compassionate parent of a deeply loved child. This is called self-parenting, reparenting. And it is very helpful if you have to, um, if you're trying to recover from an abusive childhood where you don't have parents that you can count on and you don't have, um, or you didn't have, and you still don't have, parents that you know you can do that work with um you know reparenting ourselves is a beautiful beautiful gift we can give ourselves and it's it's available to us and so if you've had a messed up childhood um you can still be a healed human you can take that work and it's kind of a drag that you have to do it for yourself but you can and you can do a really good job of it and it helps you to be a good caretaker of others too um But yeah, speak to yourself in those compassionate and curious ways, not in judgmental ways. You're feeling jealous? Well, that's kind of lame. Jealousy is a toxic emotion. Stop it. Stop it. No, then you're putting shame on it. And and that never stopped anybody ever from anything. You're like, oh, why are you feeling jealous? Why are you feeling um, sad or bitter? Like, let's explore that. Let's get curious about it. What do you think might help? Um, Talking to yourself deliberately and kindly is so imperative um, for, you know, stopping the self-abandonment. In fact, I was telling the story of my self-abandonment to some friends. And I was like, it was so funny how I suddenly realized, oh, the betrayal was coming from inside the house. It was me. (laughs) And then I suddenly, and I was so happy because then I realized, bitch, you can get them back in control of your own life. You can grow up and be in control of your own life. And they, I was typing it, you know, so they didn't hear the tone of voice and they thought I was being uncompassionate towards myself. And they were like, oh, no, 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 that's not right. Like, you need to have self-compassion and real. And I was like, oh, that's just how I talk to myself. It's just a kind of term of endearment. I, I'm just being silly. I'm being hyper, you know, I'm speaking hyperbole and, and, and you know, doing it for effect. I really don't, I really don't, you know, you know, I'm really not mean to myself like that, but I am kind of sometimes, sometimes I am like, just pull yourself together. And that again comes from childhood where I, my very real emotions were not recognized or they were ridiculed or they were, I was told to stop being dramatic or whatever, when I had some very real needs and some very real harm being done that I didn't feel like I could express. So, you know, be aware of how you talk to yourself. Even if you think you're being kind, could you be kinder? Could you be more gentle? Could you be more affirming of yourself? 
because the kinder you can be to yourself, um, the more quickly you're going to come, you know, because what happens when we're kind to people? They trust us, right? They relax in our presence. They're more open with us and they, you can get to the root of the problem far more quickly than when you're standing above somebody with, you know, think of a little kid and they're crying in a corner. How about if you came over to them and said, what the hell is wrong with you? Stand up, pull yourself together. Dumb kid. I mean, can you imagine how that little kid would just shrink in on themselves and, and, you know, clutch their little arms around themselves and protect themselves and absolutely, certainly not tell you what was going on or be very not inclined to and not feel better, right? Well, how is how are we being helpful to ourselves when we do that same to ourselves? Get up, get on with it. Pull up your big girl panties and let's go. Nah, not really. You know, sometimes there's a moment of like, come on, dig deep, girl. You got this. Sometimes we can, you know, take on that coach role. But being a self-abusive, it's it's not the it's not the move. You know, especially if you're if you're acting out childhood wounds and self-betrayal. So speaking to yourself with curiosity and compassion. And then, like I said, following through with self-care, saying, what is it that you need? Are you hungry? Do you need more time to yourself? And often that's it. We just get so pitifully little time to ourselves. And, um, you know, that psychologists are even talking about what is the um, revenge, sleep time revenge, or, you know, late night revenge, where we are so not alone, and we desperately need as humans to be alone with our thoughts. All of us, even moms, yes, even moms, need to be alone with our thoughts and just do things that we want to do, that we will take that time late, late at night and just do low quality things instead of what we needed to do at the beginning of the day. So we will scroll until 2 a.m. and get no fulfillment out of it and have massive sleep deprivation rather than taking the time at the beginning of the day to be alone, to meditate or to exercise or to whatever, or taking the time um, when a spouse gets home to hand off the kids and say, I need to take this moment and go and take, have a run or have a bike or do whatever. So, um, you know, just acknowledging I'm having feelings. I'm having this feeling, this frustration comes from the fact that I'm not alone enough. I have been um, overextending myself and I need some time, some quiet time and then taking it, that self-compassion, that self-care, will signal to you that you are now the safe adult in charge taking care of this sad inner child that's upset and wailing and feeling unsafe and now acting angry towards others or acting out or, you know, whatever. And so that is the epiphany of the week, my friends. I'm happy to say that I did have those difficult conversations. I took the time to be alone. I got back on my self-care train and I felt a lot better. And I'm really glad that the mystery of who will betray Kirsty has been solved. And I'm sure it'll come up again. And I'm really glad that I have the tools to manage it when it does. So um, if any of this resonates with you, um, I hope what I've said can help. Um, if you think it could help somebody else, please pass along this podcast and um, like and review it so that it gets higher in the ratings so that other people can find it and be helped too. Um, I hope you're doing okay. Um, we're living in some really, really, really difficult times where a lot is being asked of us and a lot of difficulties have been normalized. Um, these are not normal times. Your feelings are valid and they deserve examination. You deserve a lot of compassion and kindness. You deserve extra compassion and kindness because we're absorbing much, 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 um, too much right now. And please always be aware that the human body was not meant to, or the human psyche was not, not meant to see and absorb all the suffering that's going on in the world. Be very careful about your news consumption. Be very careful about nurturing yourself by turning that off and focusing often on what's going on right in front of you in this moment, taking a deep healing breath, 
naming five things you can see here and see see here and feel and um just giving yourself a kind hug love you and talk to you soon